0: The Firm is made up of those top
1: senior people who direct the royal family, but also the grey suits.
2: And in sense,
1: those high senior figures, the Queen is even run. Prince Philip was run. And these royal figures are run by a team.
3: Welcome to episode 10 of The Firm, Blood, Lies and Royal Succession our investigation into five centuries of royal scandals and of those whose job it is to ensure that whatever the crisis, the royal brand survives.
4: Whether you're looking at senior advisors or the very famous, very visible senior members of the royal family, their common goal is preserving the monarchy for another thousand years.
3: In this episode, we're going to take another look at the woman who was at one point arguably the most hated royal figure of the last 50 years, and how the establishment machine has managed to rehabilitate her image almost completely.
4: The Duchess of Cornwall is certainly a figure who's been through an incredible public evolution.
5: Potentially she's going to be the queen consort one day but it's hard to not think of her as a villain, knowing her circumstances. She was the other woman. She was widely
4: ridiculed and reviled by the British public.
6: Well, you always have to have a villain in a fairy tale, right?
3: The extraordinary transformation of Camilla Parker Bowles, the wicked witch in Princess Diana's royal fairy tale, into Camilla, beloved future Queen Consort of King Charles III, is not only a story of the British people's willingness to forgive and forget, it's a story of the absolute triumph of the firm.
7: After Diana's tragic death, Charles had to rehabilitate Camilla, who was non-negotiable in his life, and they intended to marry Now that took years, it was a specific campaign. It was launched by the Prince of Wales, it had to be handled in a way that people would find acceptable bit by bit. This was a concerted, ruthless campaign with a specific purpose.
3: The first time most people heard the name Camilla Parker Bowles was in 1992 when the news broke of her affair with Prince Charles, at the time still married to Princess Diana. Executive Editor of the RoyalObserver.com, Jacqueline Roth, explains. In
0: 1992, the biographer Andrew Morton published his book, Diana, Her True Story, in which Princess Diana told all about her marriage to Charles. And it was in that book that she revealed that Charles and Camilla had been seeing each other behind her back for pretty much the whole time they were married. It was a sensation.
3: Those revelations were followed by the Camillagate scandal of 1993, when recordings of embarrassingly intimate conversations between Charles and Camilla were leaked to the British press. And finally, perhaps most devastatingly, by Diana's BBC Panorama interview of 1995, in which she coined what has become one of the most quoted phrases in royal modern history.
7: Do you think Mrs Parker Bowles was a factor?
3: in the breakdown of your marriage? Well, there were three of us in this marriage, so it was a bit crowded. <laughs> Ken Wharf was Diana's Royal Protection Officer at this time. He remembers just how profoundly affected the princess was.
8: I have no axe to grind with Camilla. I mean, if, if the Prince of Wales loved Camilla, which clearly he does, then I'm all for them living a, a happy life ever after. And I would not wish that to change. But it doesn't stop me thinking as somebody that had the privilege to work with the woman that he was married to and witnessing on a fairly daily basis this extramarital affair that was all sort of cloak and dagger and the pain and heartache that it caused Diana, who then had to work and perform as a number one representative of the monarchy, the Queen, at the same time in the back of her mind knowing that her husband was having an affair with another woman and everyone else denying it, and other people within the the, the princes' circle, suggesting that Diana was mentally unstable, and even Friends of the Queen suggesting that Diana was damaged goods. That's a very difficult thing
3: to live with. Naturally, the public took the side of the people's princess too.
5: When it came to Camilla, it's really hard not to think negatively about her
3: royal commentator, Kenzie Schofield.
5: She wreaked havoc on so many people's lives, including Princess Diana's. Princess Diana's ultimate objective was to be the queen, to be married to Prince Charles, and to raise two beautiful boys. And that life, that vision, that dream was stolen from her by Camilla and Prince Charles. And I know I'm being dramatic, but they wreaked a lot of havoc on other people's lives, including Prince William and including Prince Harry. I I see a lot of trauma in Prince Harry over all of that. And think about the drama that the Queen went through during those years of everything kind of falling to pieces. They made a lot of really selfish decisions and very destructive decisions that hurt a lot of people.
3: The battle lines were drawn. On one hand, Diana, the victim and people's princess. And on the other, Camilla, the cruel mistress, the homewrecker.
5: It's hard to not see her as the villain in this story.
3: People will always remember
8: that the collapse of their marriage and Diana's death was in some way the result of the lack of uh, or the loss of, of love or attention from the Prince of Wales, you know, because of his ongoing relationship with Camilla.
1: And Camilla was indeed vilified. I mean, there's one notorious occasion when she got bombarded, uh, when she attended a local supermarket outside London and her detractors bombarded her with bread rolls, which I, I mean, she obviously didn't expect that.
3: But how fair is this story? Well, like all true stories, things aren't quite as clear cut as they seem. Charles and Camilla had known each other for a long time before he met Diana. Their history goes back to 1971 when, as 23-year-olds, they were introduced by mutual friend Lucia Santa Cruz. They hit it off almost immediately, and friendship soon turned to romance.
0: Charles and Camilla were dating in the early 70s, but then, in 1973, he took a position in the Royal Navy and was posted overseas, and the whole relationship was supposedly put on hold. And that's when she got engaged to Andrew Parker Bowles.
5: She rejected Prince Charles and pursued the man that became her husband.
3: Were Charles and Camilla on break in 1973? She obviously thought so, because within months she had not only hooked up with ex-boyfriend Andrew Parker Bowles, she had actually married him. Here's royal commentator Richard Menards.
1: Her husband Andrew Parker Bowles was in one of the guards' regiments, which was one of some of the grander regiments in England. He also, ironically, used to go out with Princess Anne, who was Prince Charles's sister.
3: Charles was heartbroken. At least, he was until 1979, when rumours began to circulate in aristocratic circles that he and Camilla had rekindled their romance.
0: So, according to multiple sources, not only were Charles and Camilla having an affair while she was married to Andrew Parker Bowles, But Andrew knew all about it and even gave it his blessing, as it gave him license to have his own affairs.
3: There was never any question of Charles and Camilla's relationship going anywhere, however. Even if Camilla were to divorce Andrew Parker Bowles, she would not be free to marry Charles. As at the time, senior members of the royal family were forbidden to wed divorcees. Charles was in
8: a heavy relationship with Camilla. Even her own husband at the time knew that was happening. But in the 70s, Camilla was a married woman, and you know, the suggestion of even of a divorced woman at that time, marrying the heir to the throne was just not an option. So the relationship was never going to end in marriage. But I don't think either of them wanted their friendship to end. The prince himself said, I will always be a friend of Camilla, whatever. But there's a difference between having a friend and having a sexual relationship with a friend.
3: Additionally, the pressure was growing on Charles, by this time in his 30s, to find a nice, wholesome, virginal bride who could provide a suitable heir. In 1980, he began a relationship with 19-year-old Diana Spencer, and on July 29, 1981, they married.
1: And, of course, Camilla was considered the, the mistress of Prince Charles, and Prince Charles thought he could continue that relationship even after marrying Princess Diana in
8: 81. Sadly, as we now know, that Camilla was forever present throughout the the short marriage time that Diana and, and the Prince of Wales had.
3: But if Charles thought that the kind of louche, aristocratic, moral ambiguity that meant that Camilla and Andrew Parker Bowles were happy for each other to have affairs would also be shared by his new wife, Diana, he was horribly wrong. Here's Royal Protection Officer, Ken Worf.
8: You take any relationship whereby as Diana so succinctly placed in her panorama interview, when she said that there are three of us in this marriage, that's very difficult for anybody under normal circumstances. You try to imagine what it's like for somebody whose face and whose every movement is relayed on the world stage. Everything they do, everything they don't do, and everything that other people want to make up. Diana had to live with the existence of Camilla before they were married and right through her life until her death that Camilla existed
3: as Kenzie Schofield revealed in a previous episode. So blasé was Charles about his adultery, he even wore cufflinks gifted to him by Camilla on his honeymoon with Diana.
5: I'm so curious myself to know what really defines cheating. And I'm sure that there's no real answer. But to me, to be wearing an ex-girlfriend's cufflinks on your honeymoon to carry around pictures of your ex-girlfriend in your diary on your honeymoon. That doesn't say that they ended their relationship to me. So I feel like there was emotional cheating throughout the relationship. We know of one instance where Princess Diana did confront Camilla
0: at Camilla's sister's birthday party.
3: The breaking point for Diana came in 1989, when she finally challenged Camilla face to face.
5: She walked downstairs, and Camilla was privately talking to Prince Charles and another man, and Diana asked if she could be alone with her, and Charles, of course, shuffled upstairs. And Princess Diana said, I know what's going on. And Camilla said, you have everything you want, everything you could ever want. All the men fall in love with you.
3: Ken Wharf was with Diana at that confrontation.
8: But you mentioned this party. This was late on, when... Camilla's sister, Annabelle Elliot, had her 40th birthday, and Charles and Camilla were invited to that party. Of course, once I understood and realized what it was, I, I was surprised that Diana would go to such an event, knowing, of course, that Camilla would be there. But nevertheless, she did. And um, I think this was a surprise to the prince as well. When we arrived at this house, everyone was dressed in their finery, and Diana certainly was. And uh, once the door had opened, uh, you could see this, this gasp of, hey, how? In, in, in a sense, really not expecting Diana to be there. And it was like freeze-framing a, a slide of a movie.
3: The party guests were surprised to see Diana, and seeing their surprise only hurt the princess more. Did everyone in high society know of her husband's adultery?
8: And then about uh, an hour later, I heard my name being called from outside and it was Diana's voice and uh, I said what's up and she said "Um, I I can't find the prince, and I can't see Camilla either I want to go and find them and my answer was do you think this is a good idea and uh, she said well maybe it is maybe it isn't but I still want to see where they are and uh, I want you to come with me so we did and literally within a couple of minutes we she confronted Charles and Diana in a basement area of this house and they were sat on a, a small sofa talking. And I thought, well, you know, what are you going to do now?
3: Diana later described the confrontation as, and I quote, one of the bravest moments of her life.
8: Diana you know, very confidently went across and, without any anger. Um, she he was very polite. She said, look, please don't treat me like an idiot. I know what exactly is going on. Expecting some sort of reply from Camilla, or at least the principal. Camilla then said something which was you know, strangely strange to me, which he said, uh, well, it's all right for you. You've got two wonderful boys. As if that might just end the conversation and we all go back to normal. But Of course, it didn't. And if there was ever a chance of a reconciliation, now that that opportunity had gone,
3: Three years later, British Prime Minister John Major announced the legal separation of Charles and Diana. Two years after that, Camilla and Andrew Parker Bowles also separated. By 1996, both couples were officially divorced, and tragically, a year later, on August 31st, 1997, Diana was killed in a car crash in Paris. Here's executive editor of the RoyalObserver.com, Jacqueline Roth.
0: So then Camilla Parker Bowles was like public enemy number one. People were not only angry about the fact that she'd been Diana's homewrecker, they were almost blaming her for Diana's death.
3: Royal reporter Bill Hoffman says that in the wake of such anger, Camilla did the smart thing and kept a low
9: profile. Well, it's funny, Camilla, she was very, very quiet. I think she realized this was a, a time not to really say anything. Just let the family handle it and let the uh, PR machine of uh, Buckingham Palace handle it because uh, she was, yeah, she was thought of as de DeVille. She was thought of as a uh, family breaker and that, uh, you know, of course, takes two to Tango and Charles was just as guilty of anything that, that, that she might have been. So I think that... Uh, that you had to, you know, give her a little bit of slack, but she remained fairly quiet.
3: And with that quietness came a slow manoeuvring of Camilla's position within the family. After the dreadful press she got while Diana was alive, the last thing the firm wanted now was for Camilla to be cast as the wicked stepmother after her death. Royal reporter Eloise Parker explains.
4: After Diana's death... I think everyone was sort of stunned into silence. Now, this sort of gave Charles and Camilla the quiet opportunity to forge a relationship together outside of the spotlight. And I think what you saw happening behind the scenes was Prince Charles primarily supporting his sons through this period of incredible trauma. But also, bringing in Camilla, he was able to bring her slowly into their lives without suddenly producing a stepmother.
9: You'd only hear things behind the scenes from quote-unquote sources of the tabloids saying, well, she wants to be queen, well, she wants this. she wants that. We don't know, we don't know for a fact. Probably, but maybe not, who knows. But uh, I think she was fairly good about keeping quiet at the beginning.
3: Eloise Parker also explains that her presence at the time was more likely a comfort to grieving William and Harry rather than a source of resentment.
4: You know, she's their father's companion and great love. They know her children. They grew up very close to Camilla and her children and they all kind of ran in the same circles. So I think it probably seems more jarring to us from the outside to see Camilla sort of taking her place at Charles's side than it perhaps did for William and Harry for whom this happened very slowly and they were already very familiar with her, they knew her, they knew her family, they knew her children. And this was really more about public acceptance than private acceptance if that makes sense.
3: Nevertheless, that public acceptance was not going to be so easy to achieve. And so began a deliberate and concerted plan to rehabilitate Camilla's image to the point where the people could accept her as Charles's partner, rather than the villain of Princess Diana's story. Sally Otness, author of Royal Fever, The British Monarchy in Consumer Culture, explains.
6: So before Diana was killed, when she and Charles were still married, there were these interviews about, you know, there were three in this marriage and, you know, the affairs of both of them came out. And Diana was much more savvy about controlling her brand and her image and working the media than the British royal family was. They just kind of didn't even think they needed to do this because, after all, they're the monarchy and everybody should just believe what they say and love them.
3: In the wake of Diana's death, the firm learned from her example. Royal commentator and public relations expert Richard Fitzwilliams details just how they did it. It was
7: understood that a campaign that had to get Camilla from being, well, I can't say she's the most hated woman in England, that was a cliché, but she was certainly, after Diana died, she went to ground. This had to be changed. There's no doubt it was a very controversial time. This was a specific campaign. It worked.
6: So now there's a huge staff. They call it St. James's Palace. That's what they call it. That's where everybody's located. It's right up the hill from Buckingham Palace, around the corner. And there's a big staff of um, public relations folks who work for the different members of the royal family. So William and Kate have their own people. Prince Charles and Camilla have their own people, that kind of thing.
7: The way this was very gradually handled, and as I say, it was over several years, I think it was the case that Camilla met the Queen at, I think it was a function involving King Constantine of Greece. These certain things were released with specific intent to the newspapers.
3: For years, Dinah had used the media to her advantage, leaking stories or photo opportunities to the press in order to present a narrative she was in control of. Now St James's Palace employed the same tactic for Camilla.
7: The facts of the matter were that when Charles and Camilla were seen together for the first time it was at a party at the Ritz and I mean that was an international event and also it's eventually involving William and Harry, involving the Queen, the fact that Camilla from tea with William, the fact that the Queen happened to meet Camilla as a certain function, the fact that Charles and Camilla were seen together and so forth, the way, step by step. So it was about seven, eight years and it was done brilliantly.
3: It was done brilliantly. So brilliantly in fact that on February 10th 2005, just seven and a half years after the death of Diana, the palace announced that Charles and Camilla were engaged to get married.
1: He was very determined that she should get married to him. Uh, there was the one occasion that was supposedly the breaking point when the Duke of Westminster's daughter got married at Chester Cathedral and he was taking Camilla and he was told that he would be sitting in the front row with his mother, the Queen, where Camilla was going to be put at the back of the bus at the cathedral. And he decided, well, that, enough is enough. they are going to make this legal and get married.
0: The Royal Marriages Act meant that Charles still had to get permission from the Queen to marry, but the rule forbidding marriage to divorcees had been overturned in 2002.
1: Initially, I think the Queen obviously was very protective of the royal family and what Camilla's involvement in the royal family might do to the reputation of it. But I think that obviously Charles being determined to marry Camilla as he did, I think the Queen as well got used to her.
7: If you'd said, after Diana's death, that Charles and Camilla would be married by 2005, I don't think you'd have found many people who believed it.
3: The wedding of Prince Charles and Camilla Parker Bowles took place in a civil ceremony at Windsor Guildhall on April 9th, 2005. If the Prince of Wales' first wedding had been a lavish international affair, a celebration of all the pomp and majesty the royal family could command, This couldn't have been more of a contrast. The service itself was decidedly low key, with only a few members of the couple's families in attendance. Even Charles's mother, the Queen, was not there. She, along with Prince Philip, later hosted a blessing at St George's Chapel and a party after. Amongst the guests at that wedding was Grant Harold, former butler to Prince Charles.
2: I remember, you know, I was very lucky I was there as a guest. And I got a phone call from London to personally invite me to the wedding to let me know that the prince and the duchess were personally inviting me. And so I was at the wedding and I saw how all the members of the family interacted with them, And most importantly, I remember the queen giving a, a wonderful speech, you know, a, a really funny speech. But what I do remember was the love and respect for both of them, which is very, very special. So from all, literally from day one, the relationship with the queen and Camilla, the, the Duchess, it's it's always been a, a good relationship, and and I've witnessed that.
3: Of all those outside the royal family themselves, Grant Harold was perhaps the best insight into Charles and Camilla's relationship, as well as how she was viewed by the other royals.
2: Do you know what's interesting? When I joined the royal household, you know, it was only about six years since Diana, Princess of Wales, had died—six, seven years—and there was still a lot of strong feelings about, you know, the breakdown of the marriage between the Prince of Wales and also the Princess Wales and and also Camilla packer Bowles. There was was a lot of that. And when I joined the household, in fact, when I had my meetings with the Prince, I actually met Camilla packer Bowles as she was then. So when I met her, I was was slightly excited because I thought, you know, this is quite amazing to meet, meet her as well. And then... You know, I, I got to know her, and I really like her because she's very down to earth. She is very kind, really kind, and doesn't ask you to do things that she's not prepared to do for herself.
3: According to Grant, far from being the wicked stepmother, Camilla is a warm, surprisingly down-to-earth person.
2: I'll give you a silly example, you know, I've even had on occasions where she offered to make a cup of tea or, you know, to do stuff. And as a butler, you think that's our role. So she's very much hands-on and have to do things herself. But yet she's very good at fitting in as the wife of the Prince of Wales. mean you know, she's such a great character. I mean, if you even Google, I think it's Prince Charles and Duchess of Cornwall, in hysterics or giggles, there is many occasions where I've witnessed it where they'll be together and they get the giggles. And it's the funniest thing you've ever seen. And, you know, you end up laughing. You know, everyone ends up laughing. And that's the kind of lady she is. You know, she's got that kind of wonderful way about her.
3: And far from being one of the stuffy old guard that Diana was supposedly fighting against, actually rather good fun.
2: I've got to share one wonderful little story with you. Um, just going back to the Duchess of Colm and what she's like as a person. I remember being told that she was out on a walk and bumped into some American tourists. And the, uh, the American Jew said to her, this is years and years and years ago. It was probably soon after they got married. And they said to the Duchess, they said, isn't this a beautiful estate? And they said, this is actually part, they were telling the Duchess, this is part of the memorial estate. So being the lady she was, you know, she was there much, oh really? That's amazing. And they said, yes, and this is the bet that really got me. They said, yes, and sometimes when you're out and about, you might, just might, bump into a member of their own family. So keep an eye out. And apparently she just said what well, she did she said well i will i will keep an eye out thank you for that and carried on and i remember when i was speaking to him at this and i said did you not know kind of what to say to her?" she said well, i didn't really want to i think they were so like excited about meeting the royal she just didn't want to kind of <laughs> say anything so that just gives you an idea of that kind of character you know she's just very unassuming happy to chat to people but she's not there saying, oh i'm such and such you know she's that's the character she has
3: The firm may have successfully rehabilitated Camilla's public image to the point where the British public were happy to accept her marriage to Prince Charles, but there nevertheless remained one pretty sizable elephant in the room. Charles will be king one day. And just how happy will the people be to see a Queen Camilla?
6: Charles wanted to manage his marriage to Camilla Parker Bowles. He wanted the country to accept that. He wants to crown her. The word on the street is that when he married her, he underplayed the fact that he wants her to be queen and crowned with him. He just wanted to get married, you know, to be able to marry her. And he said, we won't talk about that. But now the rumblings are that he is insisting that she be crowned.
7: Charles has that personal decision when he ascends the throne within a day. That would be controversial, but I think, although not popular, every king has had a queen, and that's what he'll probably do.
3: At the time of their wedding, Camilla was given the title Duchess of Cornwall, and the official line was that when Charles became king, she would be known as Princess Consort. By 2018, however, that statement was quietly removed from the palace's official website. And then, on February 6th of this year, the BBC led the news bulletins with this.
10: Queen Elizabeth says she wants Camilla, the Duchess of Cornwall, to be known as Queen Consort when Prince Charles becomes King. She made the announcement in a message marking the 70th anniversary of her reign, a milestone no British monarch has ever reached before. Our Royal Correspondent Nicholas Witchell reports now from Sandringham.
7: In a statement issued last night, the Queen recalled that she had been blessed to have as her partner Prince Philip, who she said had unselfishly taken on the role of consort. And so she concluded, When in the fullness of time my son Charles becomes king, I know you will give him and his wife Camilla the same support that you have given me. And it is my sincere wish that, when the time
3: comes, Camilla
7: will be known as Queen Consort as she continues her own loyal service.
3: Queen Camilla remains a controversial idea for some, however.
5: I don't think I'd be comfortable with that. Should Prince Charles and Camilla have been married in the first place? Absolutely. But according to the palace, Camilla's record was not clean. She'd had several boyfriends, several relationships. And it was important to the palace that Prince Charles have a virgin, have somebody, you know, upper class, sophisticated, that the public would love. They said that Camilla wasn't attractive enough to be Prince Charles's bride. I mean, it was. There were a lot of ticks against Camilla to be the future queen. Ironically, here we are.
3: For Grant Harold and Richard Menards, the bottom line is that no matter what official title you may or may not give her, Camilla will be the wife of the king.
2: Traditionally, historically, it's always, if you're married to the king, you're automatically the queen. Obviously, if you're female, you automatically become the queen consort. So I think it would be weird if it didn't, but it's that thing of, you know, then it comes back then to the duty and the brand or sticking up for your family.
1: I think you're always going to have people complaining. People are saying, well, what's going to happen? What did Camilla going to do? And I said, well, she'll become queen because she's the wife of the king. I think near the occasion that will come up again. But as I say, he's going to be king. And obviously as the wife of the king, she'll be queen. That's a matter of fact. So I think you know people are going to basically have to get used to it.
2: And as the years evolve, I think people will get used to it. And if he wants to stick up and say, no, nope, she's my wife, she's my queen, that's how it is, then good on him. <laughs> if he wants to do that, then go for it. You know, Why not? It's irrelevant what anyone else says, even the firm, if they disagree, at the end of the day, if he's the king and that's what he wants, then what the king says is what the king should get, I think.
3: They also believe that... In the main, most people have moved on from the old Camilla versus Diana comparisons.
1: We'll never forget Diana, uh, an extraordinary young lady. But, you know, time moves on. This will be some years hence. And I think people will be more accepting of Camilla, certainly of Prince Charles. It will be a very sad occasion when Queen Elizabeth dies. But I think that uh, Charles will be a good king. He'll probably be as eccentric as he ever was and I think Camilla will be a good queen, so I hopefully that bodes well for the royal
3: family for the future. In the 1990s, it was not an exaggeration to say that, for anyone interested in the royal family at least, Camilla Parker Bowles was the most hated woman in Britain, a hatred that reached its peak after the death of Diana, Princess of Wales, in 1997. 25 years after that tragedy, Camilla is something else altogether. Here's royal reporter Eloise Parker and royal biographer Jane Dismore.
4: It is truly extraordinary when you look at the magnitude of the scandal when Prince Charles was revealed to have had this other woman going on for so long and everybody was so in love with Diana and it was
10: awful. I think public opinion has shifted more towards her. She's doing a lot. She, she's more and more in, in the public eye. And what's happened is happened, you know, whatever happens now, it's not, it's not going to bring Diana back, it's not going to mend bridges as such, but I think people have, have realised that time's moved on and she's still there and she's, she's being a, a good stalwart.
4: For Camilla's reputation to have evolved as much as it has, it's almost a full 180 degree shift, it's an incredible story that's played out, in part thanks to other scandals that have eclipsed. It's like Camilla is no longer, <laughs> she seems a bit boring by comparison, I suppose.
1: Camilla has not set a foot wrong since becoming Duchess of Cornwall. Uh, she's very much liked. I've never met her, but I know that many people have, saying she's very self-deprecating, very kind, very understanding, and she supports Prince Charles which he did not get from Princess Diana, rather sadly.
3: The almost daily circus of drama and headlines that defined the Diana-Charles-Camilla love triangle has been replaced by something altogether more British. Calmness, understatement, even, dare I say it, a little bit of dullness. Those are certainly qualities that go down well with the senior royals
4: she's been very careful and very cautious with how she presents herself, uh, both public and personally. But she's generally a very well-liked and well-regarded member of the family.
1: And as I say, I think they're an extraordinarily happy couple, enjoying their lives and just doing the kinds of things that uh, royal couples do, be it at their London Home clown's house or at Royal Hall, his uh, house at Balmoral, or going down to Windsor every weekend, much like his mother the Queen does, and carrying out royal duties.
4: And she works very hard for the royal family on a public level. And I think, you know, the British public have even grown to accept Camilla as sort of part of the furniture at this point.
1: The public's now been able to see her out and about and see how nice she really is and how very self-deprecating she is. And I think that they really truly have a a very, very happy marriage. I remember saying to Barbara waters on The View one time, I said, even errant Princes of Wales deserve a second chance, and Charles has a second chance, and they, I think he's handled it very, very well. And I, I think that will continue once he ascends the throne until the end of his life.
3: And for Sally Otness, right now especially, Charles and Camilla's very dullness is actually the thing that is contributing most to her popularity.
6: Here's how I would say it cynically. Camilla is the least of their worries. We got Harry and Meghan. We got Andrew. Camilla's way down on the list of pro- I mean, she's not a problem anymore. You know, time heals all wounds and all that stuff. They've been married since 2005, I believe it is. She's just been a married woman in her 70s who has supported her husband at ambassadorial events and done her charity things on her own. So she knows her role. Have you heard a scandalous thing about her? No.
3: That's popularity both with the public and with the firm itself.
6: So she knows her role. And what's fascinating about that is both Kate and Camilla are commoners, but they're commoners who grew up in Britain. And they understood that when they married into this institution, these were the rules. Okay, duty is the big thing. The royal family's big brand promise. And we talk about the brand promise in marketing for different brands. Like, you know, Coca-Cola the brand promise is refreshment or whatever, right? The brand promise in the royal family is duty, duty to the country. Camilla, Kate, they get that totally
3: The extraordinary turnaround of Camilla's fortunes and her public standing from the wicked witch to respected future queen consort remains a triumph of public image handling by the firm but also perhaps a testament to something much simpler and much more powerful, love.
0: There's no doubt Charles and Camilla are deeply in love with each other. And looking back now, you can see that they've always been in love with each other. It was just a case of the right person at the wrong time.
10: Charles has been in a situation, was in a situation with Diana where, you know, there was that sort of ridiculous thing, really a situation of there not being any virgins left in Europe uh, for him to marry. You know, he had to have somebody who was Protestant, he had to have somebody who, was, who didn't have a past to come back and embarrass the family. And it was sort of a, a desperate looking around, as you know, who have we got? If that necessity hadn't been there of finding the Protestant virgin bride, et cetera, who knows, he may have, have married Camilla much earlier on and various lives would have been saved, etc. cetera. It's very easy to talk with
3: hindsight, isn't it? next time on the firm blood lies and royal succession racism
5: a royal reporter yelled at prince william as he was walking past him after a happy like uplifting royal engagement somebody yells is your family racist
3: bullying
7: i mean so far as the courtiers were concerned there's little doubt that they had a very different attitude to Meghan, that she didn't get on with quite a number, is undoubted. that several claim they
3: were bullied by her. And a family divided.
5: It has really, truly felt like perhaps Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's objective is to, I don't want to say bring down the monarchy, but they're certainly not showing them in a good light or trying to enhance their brand in any way, shape or form.
1: Unfortunately, is completely entranced by her and he has gone rogue under her administration.
3: The Firm, Blood, Lies and Royal Succession is a production of Audology, a division of Empire Media Group. The series is hosted by me, Jonathan Locke. Executive producers are Dylan Howard and Melissa Cronin. The series is written by Dominic Utton, Reporting by Douglas Montero. Mixing and sound design by Sean Kravitz. Please subscribe to The Firm wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you hear, leave us a rating, review, and tell your friends.